0: All right, good morning. If we could open our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. Last week we looked at the first 17 verses. And it's interesting how sometimes when we look at a genealogy, we often think, oh, okay, there's a bunch of names here we can't pronounce. But as we went through it, we noticed that there were five different ladies in the, in the line of Jesus that were uh, normally women aren't in the genealogies, the Jewish genealogies, but the Holy Spirit saw fit to add these women in, and many of them are listed in the Hebrews chapter 11 in the Hall of Faith that we call it, and so these are faithful women, and, and they didn't start off faithful women. In fact, some of them, a few of them, had uh, some pretty interesting backgrounds, but we see that God, even in spite of that, he... He loves people, and he's not ashamed, remember last week, to call us brethren. He's not ashamed to be among us and to love us, to call us his own. And so we looked at that, and just what a marvel it is to see the truth that Jesus Christ is the long-awaited Messiah. He is the, the king of the Jews. He is the rightful heir to the throne of his father, David, meaning his father going way back in time, he's also the heir to that throne. And that's really the crux behind this gospel of Matthew. And so as we go through it, we will see that Matthew is going to be driving that point home, that he is the Messiah, that he is the rightful heir to the throne. It's very Jewish in its nature, in its content, and we will see that as we go along. Now, I want to tell you that we're going to be starting in verse 18. Um, We may only do verse 18 today, and I'll explain why, because today's message is going to be a little different. It's going to be a little different. And so I just want you to understand that up front. It's not going to be a normal Sunday morning message. As we talk about the birth of Jesus, it also brings to light Things that are currently happening in our world. And one of my, I believe, my responsibilities as a pastor is to bring these things to light. And uh, as we look at the, the, the Bible, the Word of God historically, we look at it for the, um, the, um, what we can get out of it. The application of these things. Some things have happened in our country this week that I cannot avoid. I I chose not to avoid. And so we're going to be looking at those things as well. In fact, that's going to be a a good portion of this morning. But I promise you, next Sunday morning, we will be finishing probably this chapter, and we won't touch on it for a while, okay? But I feel compelled to do that, so I would ask for your grace and for your um, patience with me today. But let's first, let's as we look at this verse, as we look at 18 through 25, chronologically, there's some things that happened prior to this section in Scripture that I'd like to go through, and specifically, Luke chapter one, verses 25 through 56. So if you would, uh, turn to Luke chapter one. Beginning in verse 26, and by reading the passage in Luke, it will give us not only an understanding of the flow of events and the context of Jesus' birth, but it will also support the theme of Matthew's gospel. I think you'll see that very clearly, that Jesus is the king of the Jews, the rightful heir to the throne. So let's look at that, and we're not going to look at all 56 verses. We're going to look at the first uh, from 26 through 45, and then finally the last verse of that. But notice what it says. Because as we read this, remember, we're going chronologically, and I think at least for the birth of Christ, I'd like to show where all these things fit into the picture, because as we approach Christmas, as we approach Jesus' birth, there's a lot of misunderstandings about the, the order of things, and I think that's important to understand. And so let's just read it. So notice in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1, it says, "...now in the sixth month..." The angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. A very familiar passage to us all. We hear it every Christmas. And I never grow tired of hearing this, to be honest with you. But notice the sixth month. And that sixth month is referring in context to how many months since Elizabeth had conceived. If you look prior to that, you notice that she hid herself for five months because she was an old woman. She and Zechariah were in their, old, in their golden years, and now she's pregnant? Mystery of mysteries. And so she hid, hides herself for five months because she's, she can't believe it. She's totally blown away. And now the sixth month is referring uh, to her sixth month her, or after her um, second trimester. And notice, this is, um, you know, by the time that the angel Gabriel visited Mary, uh, what we're going to be seeing here, Elizabeth had already been, had, had already fulfilled her second trimester. And, and incidentally, any time... We see the angel Gabriel in Scripture. He is always fulfilling some kind of messianic purpose. We see him in Daniel in chapter uh, 8, in verse 15 and 16, uh, delivering a very messianic um, uh, prophecy. And so now we see him also in the New Testament delivering not only to uh, Elizabeth, but to Mary as well, the, the birth of this forerunner, which we'll look at later, uh, John the Baptist, and then finally Jesus himself. And so notice in verse 28, it says, And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Can you imagine, ladies, being visited by an angel of God in your room? And showing up with all of his glory and the brightness fills the room and you're sitting there on your bed and you're cowering wondering, what what is this all about? And he says, blessed are you among women. And she was about to receive a message that every Hebrew girl had longed to hear. To be the the mother of the Messiah. To be the mother of the Messiah was, was the greatest joy any Hebrew woman could have. Or possibly have. So having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, notice, she was troubled at at this saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. And then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great. He will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him, notice, underline this, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Now you know why we're here? (laughs) Well, we're backtracking into Luke now, because this just gives more support to what even Matthew's gospel is trying to get across. Notice verse 33, And he will reign over the house of Jacob, notice, forever. Not just a period of time, but forever in his kingdom. There will be no end, and this is significant because it points to the message, and the importance of the Davidic covenant in Second Samuel chapter seven. You might want to write in the margin of your Bible, Second Samuel chapter seven, verses twelve through sixteen. If you've been following with us on Thursday nights, we I, I frequently uh, bring this passage to mind because of its significance, and here it is. Notice, when the days, are, and I'll just read it to you, when your days are fulfilled, and God is speaking to David here, because it's a covenant that God's making with David, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Now, who in context are we talking about there? Well, yeah, ultimately Jesus, but even more specifically Solomon, but ultimately Jesus as well, yes. But notice, he shall build a house from my name, and certainly Solomon did, and so will Jesus, by the way. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now Solomon only had it for 40 years, so now we're speaking of somebody different other than Solomon. So it did include Solomon to a point, but notice, And I will be his father, he shall be my son, God tells David. And if he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house, notice, and your kingdom shall be established forever before ever before you. Your throne shall be established Forever. He repeats it like three times. So he makes it very clear that there's one even coming after you of your seed, David, that he's going to establish and that throne is going to be his forever. And that's certainly speaking of Jesus now. Because mortal men can only live so long. But Jesus' kingdom, he's going to live forever. And we will as well with him. But it's speaking of him. And it also reminds us of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Doesn't it? For unto us a child is born. Unto us. You didn't know it was Christmas, did you? Uh, Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. Notice, and his name shall be called this child that will be born. Remember that. The child that will be born, the government will be upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Okay, now we got a problem, right? This son, this baby, whoever's going to be born, is going to be Almighty God? Yes. Everlasting Father prince of peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, notice, to order and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. Do you see how those prophecies, those, you know, Isaiah 700 years before Christ, David 100, or excuse me, 1,000 years before Christ proclaiming these truths about who Jesus would be. Now going back now in Luke chapter one, picking up in verse 34, then it says, then Mary said to the angel, how can this be? Since I do not know a man, I've never had time with a man. So how can this be that I'm going to conceive? And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that holy one, Who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, indeed, he tells her, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing is impossible. So we know that Elizabeth was a Levite, it tells us that in verse 5 of this chapter, but she was also a relative of Mary, which means that somewhere on Mary's side, Mary's mother's side, was uh, she was related to this uh, Elizabeth. But in verse 38, it says, Then Mary said, Behold, the servant of the Lord, let it be according to me, according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened that when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe In her womb, leapt. And who is that babe that was in Elizabeth's womb? Yes. His first name was John, and his last name was Baptist. No, just kidding. His title was given to him because of what he did. We don't know his last name. The Bible doesn't tell us. It could have been Smith. I don't know. John Smith. No, it wouldn't have been Smith, because that's a very English name or Welsh name. But anyway. So John the Baptist, because he was the baptizer, and the babe leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled, notice, with the Holy Spirit, and then she spoke out with a loud voice. She said, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, but why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? All of this business that you hear these ladies talking about, the Spirit of God is all over both of them. Elizabeth knows that this babe that's in her womb is not the son of God. But Mary knows that there's something happening in her right now as they speak. And Elizabeth knew that that would be the Messiah. The Lord had already revealed it to her. The Lord had already revealed it to Mary. It was a done deal. And both of the ladies are rejoicing. Can you imagine that? I can't imagine how joyful that room must have been. For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my room for joy. And, uh, and then notice in verse 56, And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. And she remained with her. Remember, when she first visited her, she had already finished six months or her second trimester. And so Mary would naturally stay with her relative until John was delivered at the end of that three months. No doubt she stayed there and witnessed the birth of John the Baptist, probably even helped her in the birth Now let's go to verse 18, now back in Matthew, because this is what happens next. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. Now again, I'm warning you, shortly we're going to take a turn in this study, in our our time in the Word here, and for reasons that I'll explain. The birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, you might want to underline that, She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. This means that Mary and Joseph had an arranged marriage. And once they were engaged, there was a wedding contract between the two fathers of Mary and Joseph that had been agreed upon, and they were legally married, but they weren't able to consummate that marriage until a, at least a year had transpired. They called that the betrothal period. It was a one-year betrothal period where they were legally married, but they weren't to consummate the marriage. wonder how that would fly today. <laughs> hey, you're married, but you can't kiss the bride. Right? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> you got to wait. And notice, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Notice, before they came together. Meaning, of course, before their marriage was consummated physically, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now, you and I have the unfair advantage of hearing this passage often, at least once a year. And we, we become so familiar with it that I think, and I know this is true for myself, I can fail to remember or to recognize how significant this really was. Because this has never happened before, and it will never happen again. Do you follow? No one has been impregnated by the Holy Spirit ever, except for Mary, and it will never happen again. Do you follow? But you and I have become so comfortable with this. Now put yourself in Mary and Joseph's shoes. Because it's never happened before and there's going to be a lot of suspicion surrounding both of them and it's going to be hard for both of them because they've never experienced anything like this. Thank God that the angel Gabriel came and spoke to Mary and then it's going to be speaking to Joseph in a dream. These things are important because their faith needed some underpinnings because they were going to be ridiculed. They were going to be looked on with suspicion. You know that every Jewish lady is going... Right, the Holy Spirit. <laughs> dip, 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 dip. You know, they, they they'd be like, you know, gossiping about her. <laughs> she says she's the Holy Spirit did it. Yeah, right. And you know that that happened, and she was castigated. She was looked down upon. Joseph was like, oh, really? You guys never, uh, you know? And he's like, no, I I never touched her. Okay. And so, the suspicion continued all throughout their lives. But the same Holy, Holy, Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit, excuse me, who planted the seed in Mary was the same Holy Spirit who spoke through King David, Mary's descendant, and also Joseph's descendant. What did the, what did the psalmist say? For you formed my inward parts, and you covered me in my mother's womb, and I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame, or my bones, was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. And your eyes, Lord, you saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them, interesting isn't it it kind of gives new understanding of what happens in the womb the mystery of conception the mystery of conception and notice the same spirit who spoke through king david also spoke a couple hundred years afterwards to jeremiah who said this the lord came to jeremiah saying before i formed you in the womb notice before i formed you in the womb i would like to ask some people about that when does conception begin when does it begin? <laughs> well, technically, physically, at the moment of conception, when the sperm and the egg meet together and they, and, and, and they combine and they're, they're, there's conception. Certainly, I can, I can take that. But I'd like to take it back even farther than that because God says that before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That means he already knew what you were going to be. That, that's a mind blower, isn't it? That he knew you, he knew what you would do, he knew your, out, your, your whole making what you would be. He knew that you would be here today. He knew that you would receive him. What a joy that is. Isn't it joy? I want to see big smiles. Big smiles, okay. Because shortly it's going to take a turn and you may not be smiling. But I'm going to tell you the truth. So God not only knew that Jeremiah, uh, before he was known, but he also knew us. And I just want to share something that while we're here in this scripture, I'd like to address the elephant in the room, if you would allow me to. And that is, um, and it's really not convenient either because this is, after all, Mother's Day. I understand that. I really do. But as we look at the birth of Jesus and we look at the faithfulness of Mary and Joseph in the midst of, notice, very difficult messages for them both to understand and then to have the resultant social scandal on their hands and the fact that they were both poor brings into sharp relief things that are happening today. Things that are happening today. So what has happened? And what has happened in our country this last Monday, May 2nd, is monumental, especially if it is true. And I hope it is. A 98-page Supreme Court majority opinion draft written by Justice Samuel Leto, as you know, was leaked to the mainstream media, to Politico specifically. The memo was drafted back in February of 2020 and hadn't been released yet because uh, perhaps for further need of deliberation, perhaps there were some other court cases that needed to happen before they would finally release this, um, this uh, majority opinion on Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey in 1992. They believed that it should be overturned. They believe that it should be overturned. But instead of allowing the Supreme Court to release this information at a time of their choosing, a misguided clerk released this information to the press, subverting the court's process, and in the process, undermining the privacy and trust in the Supreme Court. And this egregious act, as we all know, is uh, whether it's an individual or individual's is significant. It's very significant. They need to be held responsible for what they did. In fact, uh, Justice John Roberts issued a press release the very following day concerning this leak, and he said this. He said, "...to the extent this betrayal of the confidence of the court was intended to undermine the integrity of our operations, it will not succeed." The work of the court will not be affected in any way, and we at the court are blessed to have a workforce, permanent employees and law clerks alike intensely loyal to the institution and dedicated to the rule of law, Court employees have an exemplary and important tradition of respecting the confidentiality of the judicial process and upholding the trust of the court. This was a singular and egregious breach of that trust that is an affront to the court and the community of the public servants who work here. I have directed the marshal of the court to launch an investigation into the source of the leak. Now, I bring this up today, and we're going to go on a little bit further here, not to make any woman here feel uncomfortable at all. I'm not not going to talk about gory details, okay? Don't worry about that. I'm not going to go there. But why am I bringing this up anyway? Well, as we get into the birth of Christ, and as we find out what has happened recently on May 2nd, last Monday, it's a significant deal for life. It's significant in the church. And it's significant to the Lord because, as, I will, as we'll look at later, I believe that our country right now is heading in the wrong direction. And you, it's okay if you disagree with me. It's going in the wrong direction. I believe that God is judging our country. I don't believe that what's happening is the judgment. I think it's, it's, it's already here. That's a big deal, folks. For the church, we need to see that for what it is. Not to shy away from it, but to understand what's happening. Why? Because the lives of innocents are certainly at stake. But also the the souls of many are at stake as well. The souls of many people, physical and spiritual, there's so much at stake here. So it is a big deal. So I found myself compelled to share what I'm going to share with you. And it won't take long. But it, I felt that needed, we needed to kind of get this out on the table, because many of us, maybe you've been a Christian for a while, and, and do you know what the Bible says about this? Because we're going to look at some of the scriptures, and we're going to look at why it's important for us today, because it's extremely important how we respond to this as Christians, biblically, is paramount, okay? Okay? That's why I'm bringing it up. I'm not trying to be political. There's some political things in here, but I'm trying to not be political. I'm telling you the truth. And you can challenge me on any of these things I'm going to share with you. But ladies, I want to tell you that if you've had an experience in your life where you've had to have an abortion and you've come to Christ and you've asked God to forgive you, it's a done deal. Okay? You don't need to walk around with that cloud over your head any longer. Okay? You, you, you really have to understand that. That's how awesome God's salvation is. He paid the price for that too. So I don't want anyone here, if you've had an abortion in the past, to feel guilty at all. If, you, if it's under the blood, it's under the blood. Okay? You have to believe that. Otherwise, you're going to be a walking wounded and God would not have you that way. Because you have turned. Things are different now in your life. There's a new sheriff on your heart. It's Jesus Christ. So does everybody understand? That's very important for you to understand. And there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. And so um, we will look at what the Bible also has to say about abortion. And I just want to make a statement. The pro-choice movement is wrong. And if you're a Christian here this morning, you've got the Scripture and God to wrestle with. And so I'm going to tell you the truth. It's wrong, it's misguided, and it's sinful. It is. And it's an affront to Almighty God. It is. Those who are proclaiming, my body, my choice... And I can understand the humanity of that. I do. I understand that. And we have to be empathetic and, and compassionate with people because it's a, it's a serious deal to be pregnant and to be a woman to be pregnant. There are many things that happen in a woman's life that are very difficult. And I, I, I don't, I'm I not a woman, so I don't know, but I understand that that's true. It's a, a very difficult place to be in, especially if the father has taken off and now you've got to support this child. There are many things screaming at you to get rid of the child, get rid of the child, and in your heart of hearts you know what's wrong and yet sometimes you, you you cave into the pressure perhaps from a spouse a boyfriend maybe you're even your own parents or something or even your own conscience whatever it is it's a very difficult very very difficult thing and I don't want to misplay that or downplay that at all but those who are saying this out in our culture now my body my choice are only thinking of themselves they're not thinking about the the child whose body is in them Because that's the body that God cares about as well. So I want to be careful. In fact, the typical person, the typical woman who seeks an abortion is, number one, already a mother. And this is a recent thing, recent news, uh, research. Research is already a mother, is in her late 20s, attends some college, has a low income, is unmarried, is in her first six weeks of pregnancy, is having her first abortion, and she lives in a blue state. Those are the statistics. And by the way, I got that from the New York Times. Yes, that's what the New York Times says. That's right off the press, hot off the press. But the data from the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, and the Guttmacher Institute, where they compiled all this information, the information is still incomplete because the CDC, whose most recent statistics are from 2019, doesn't collect data from California, Maryland, or New Hampshire. And those are big abortion states. And the data from uh, Guttmacher, which collects more more complete information from people obtaining abortions as well as clinics, was last updated in 2014. So there's still a lot of information that's missing from this. It's incomplete. And I want to share with you another excerpt from an article published in the Biomed Central website. And uh, it says concerning women's reasons for uh, abortion. And it says, women's reasons for seeking an abortion fell into 11 broad themes. The predominant themes identified as reasons for seeking abortion, including financial decisions or financial reasons, 40%. The timing of it, 36%. Partner-related decisions or reasons, 31%. And the need for focus on other children, 29%. And most women reported multiple reasons for seeking an abortion, crossing over several themes, and that was 64%. And at the bottom of that article, it even says this, that the majority of American women who have had abortions, approximately 1.21 million women per year, do not publicly disclose their abortion experience or engage in policy discussions at a, at a represented uh, representative group. So even all of these statistics that I've shared with you even so far, which I'm not going to go into any more than that, are incomplete, and they're conservative, I believe. So what this boils down to, and please bear with me, and again, I don't want to underestimate any woman's uh, difficulty that she's been in, What this boils down to is that an overwhelming majority of women who have had abortions didn't get their abortion because their life was at stake. Their life wasn't at stake if they had the child. The overwhelming majority is something else. Financial, planning, you know, it wasn't the right time, all those other things, and that, that's a pretty big statistic. And... and and. Um, while I can in the natural have compassion, like I said, none of these things are valid for having an abortion. Financial reasons, I mean, they're significant, don't get me wrong, they're very hard. But there are other things that a woman can do. There's adoptions. There's abstinence. There's birth control. There are many other options to, for things like this to happen. So, the, it, this child that's growing is a human being. Not a clump of nerves, not a clump of cells. It is a living, human beings. So what does the Bible have to say about abortion and how are we as Christians to respond? The Bible tells us that God is not a respecter of persons, which means he doesn't treat one group of people different from another group of people. He treats everyone the same. And we're going to see this as we look in the scripture because God judged the Canaanites, remember, for their idolatrous worship of Molech and other false gods. These ancient worship services included human sacrifices, infanticide, They sacrificed their children on altars to demons. And God used the children of Israel to bring judgment upon those Canaanites. He did. The Canaanites and the Israelites, uh, they didn't have the sophisticated tech that we have today. They They had to wait until the child was born. And then they performed the abortion. They performed it at the altar of these false gods. And, and this picture that I'm showing right, from you right now is a, a picture of a Canaanite altar that I took when we were up in uh, Megiddo. And this goes back to like 2500 to 1800 BC. These are the altars that they sacrificed children on. So this is nothing new. It was very postpartum Murder. And this was part of their worship services. And notice what happens in Genesis 15. Remember when God spoke to Abraham in a covenant, God said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. And will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 400 years. Speaking of the Egyptians uh, enslaving the Israelites. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall return here, Abraham, here in the land of Canaan where you are right now, For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. The Amorites were a part of a bigger group of people called the Canaanites. These were the people who worshipped at that altar and sacrificed their children to their false gods. And so God would bring the Israelites at the appropriate time out of Egypt to dispossess the people of Canaan. Why? Because God was a bigot? Because God didn't like their skin color or something? No, it had nothing to do with that at all. In fact, it had everything to do with sin. Everything to do with skin, sin, excuse me, not skin, had everything to do with sin, better correct that. Thank you so much. But he did. He, God warned his people as they were getting ready to cross that Jordan River. God spoke to Moses in Deuteronomy 18, and he says, when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, notice the warning that God is giving to his own people before his own people cross over into the promised land and then go and destroy everybody in the land of Canaan as God told them to do. Why did he do that? Because they were doing these horrible practices for hundreds of years. And remember what he said to Abraham? He said, you guys aren't coming out yet because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet In other words, I'm giving them time to repent. I'm giving them space to repent. But now is the time, God says, that I want you to go in and I want you to wipe out everything. And that's really hard to hear today, isn't it? But God is serious about sin. We aren't, but God is. He's always been serious about sin in our lives as well. But notice, when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, oh my goodness, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among any of you one who makes his son or daughter to pass through the fire. Or who practices witchcraft or a soothsayer or one who interprets uh, omens or a sorcerer. For all these things, he says in verse 12, are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. And then he goes on in Deuteronomy 20, verse 16, and he says this. But of the cities of these peoples, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive, but you shall utterly destroy them, the Hittite, and the Amorite, and the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, just as the Lord your God has commanded you. And why is that? Verse 18 tells us, Lest they teach you to do according to all of their abominations, which they have done for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. That's why. It's all about sin. And God gave them a long time to repent. And what they would do is they would put these babies. The Israelites had learned this from the Canaanites. And they built these, these, the, the, the God of Molech. They would build a molten image and they would heat that thing up and they would place the children, the babies, they would place them in the arms of Molech and they would incinerate. And they were incinerate. And that was... Ancient abortion, postpartum. Nowadays we do it inside the secret of the womb. But in second kings chapter 16, it says, In the seventeenth year of Pikah the son of Ramaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, And it tells us some information about him, and I'm just going to get to the point here. It says that he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord, but he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Indeed, he made his son pass through the fire. He made his son do exactly what we saw in that previous graphic. He put his son into the arms of this false god that was heated up and molten, you know, uh, red hot, and he sacrificed his son on the altar to these false gods, really to demons. And God judged his people they continued doing this for a long time, a couple hundred years, and then finally God had had enough with it. And we're not going to have a whole lot of time, but I'm going to give you the verses, and I want you to read them, and I'll summarize them for you. Second Kings chapter 17 verses 5 through 19. You can see it up there on the screen, and also Second Kings chapter 21 verses 1 through 16. Now, why am I bringing this up? Because they continued to do this, and in Second Kings chapter 17, it talks about the king of Assyria coming and besieging Samaria, the northern ten tribes of Israel. And why did he do that? Because they were doing the same thing, and they were the first ones to be taken to captivity. You all know this in 721 B.C. And why? Because they were doing these things, among other things, but they were doing these things as well. And God says, Israel... If you don't repent, and God sent prophets. We didn't have time to go into all the prophets. He prophesied day and night to them. They didn't listen. They disobeyed God. They continued in this horrible thing. And God says, okay, enough's enough. I'm going to send judgment. And he did. He brought the Assyrians, took the northern ten tribes captive. And then it says at the bottom of 2 Kings chapter 17, at the very bottom, it says that also Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel, which they made. And so now we go to chapter 21 of Second Kings, and we learn that Manasseh did the exact same thing. He did the exact same thing, and he made his son pass through the fire. He practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft, consulted spirits. And the Lord spoke to his servants, the prophets, saying, because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done this thing, he has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him." Speaking of the Canaanites, therefore, thus says the Lord God: Behold, I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears it, both his ears will tingle. And I will stretch my uh, over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab, and I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish. And he basically says, I am going to deal with Jerusalem now, Judah, the northern or the southern two tribes. And what did he do? He brought judgment from a pagan nation. Babylon, and he brought them against his own people. Do you see the thing here? God used his own people first to judge the Canaanites for their sin, but when they moved in and they didn't do the job completely, they began to inherit those idolatrous practices, began doing these same things, and now God's got to judge his own people by who? Gentile nations. Gentile pagan nations who are doing even worse things than they are, and God judges them. First 10 going to Assyria, the second two, into Babylon. Do you see? He's not a respecter of persons. God is not going to put up with this nonsense. So what does the Bible have to say about abortion? Well, Exodus tells us, chapter 20. You can write these verses down. i read them quickly to you. You shall not murder. What is abortion? It's murder. It doesn't matter whether it's in the womb or outside of the womb. It is murder. You should not commit adultery. And it's usually adultery that leads to the murder. Usually, not always. Notice in Psalm 127, it says, "Behold, no, notice the good news here, and I'm, I, I put this in here specifically, because I knew right about now all of you are going, "I really didn't, I really shouldn't have come today." <laughs> right? It's a hard thing to hear on, on, on Mother's Day, but then again, we're talking about the birth of Christ, and we're talking about this monumental thing that's going on in our country. So I think it's important that we look at it, right? Behold, children are a heritage from the womb. Notice the fruit of the womb is his is a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man, who has this quiver full of them they shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. What did it tell us in Deuteronomy chapter thirty? God speaking to the children of Israel, before they cross over into the promised land, he says to them, see, I have set before you today life and good and death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply. There it is. That's God's heart for you to live and to multiply. Wasn't that the command back in Genesis? That you live and you multiply? Wasn't that his commandment to Adam and Eve? His commandment was, well, you know what? When the earth gets about three billion people, you might want to start exterminating some because Bill Gates will be really happy. Um, You need to eliminate a lot more people, and here's how you do it. Was that God's heart at all? No, he says, it never came into my mind. It never came into my mind. That's what he says. That's what he says, right? And notice, And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. And by the way, that did happen. I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I almost wonder if God knew that they were going to do that. Of course he did. That's why he warned them over and over again. Talk about um, um. He says, I announce to you today that you shall, you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days. And notice, I, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Choose life. Mm-hmm. That's what we need to be about, folks. That's why I'm sharing this on Mother's Day. And I... I you know, it's, it's a hard thing to take. I, I get it. But again, the birth of Christ and what has just happened in our country is huge, and it's going to be huge. But what does it say in Matthew? Remember Jesus, at the, t- at the same time the disciples came to Jesus and said, "Why, wow, son, almost sound like Southern Baptist He said to Jesus, I, I said that. So. Sorry about that. I, just, I, was, I did grow up in the South, so I think a little bit came upon me there. But at that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child them, and he set him in the midst of them. And notice, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him that a millstone was tied around his neck and he were drowned into the midst of the sea. And so I ask you, if he cares that much about children, does he care about the life of that child even more? I think he does. And again, ladies, if you've had an abortion in your past and you've confessed it, it's God will never look upon it again. Please understand. I know this is difficult. But see, my point in saying all this is that this happened in Israel and they were judged for it. They were. They were judged for it. And I believe that what's happening in our country since 1973, it's been legalized. And I believe we are going through it too. I believe that. I believe we're going through that judgment as well. And when you look around and see everything that's going on in the world, I, would, I, I, would, I believe that. If God's not doing something in our country, and he's, he's waking us up, it's time for us, beloved, to wake up. It's time for us to wake up. It's time for us to be praying more than anything. Be praying, and also don't cease to open your mouth when necessary. Do it nicely. Do it biblically. Do it carefully do it lovingly and the truth sometimes hurts and sometimes we need to speak the truth in love and people don't like it but you know what we don't have to fight we don't have to pull out guns and run after people no we don't have to do that we just stand on the truth and we need to do that this very morning i saw this on the news that uh pro-choice activists for reproductive freedom they protest outside the home of justice supreme or supreme court justices homes this is this morning I wasn't even going to include it in this, but I'm like, wow, that's interesting. And why is that a big deal? Well, because um, uh, one of the Fox News White House press conference uh, correspondents, uh, Peter Ducey, a couple days ago spoke with Jen Psaki and says, why does our president... Why doesn't he care if they're protesting outside the Supreme Court or outside a justice's private residence? And she said, "I don't have an official U.S. government position on where people protest." And this man, this man, uh, his name is uh, Mike Davis. He is a chief counsel for nominations, the U.S. Senate Committee on the Judiciary Law Clerk under Justice Gorsuch. He said this. He said, no one has a First Amendment right to harass and intimidate federal judges and their families at their homes when they are deciding cases pending before them. That's a federal felony for obstruction of justice. And you know what it says? And it says it right here. There's, There's his tweet that I got. But notice what it says. This is what it says. This is the law in our country. Okay? Someone released the names and the addresses of all of the Uh, Supreme Court, and today, this morning, they're at these people's houses, and they're harassing them. And notice what the law says, and it's got everything here. It says, whoever, with the intent of interfering with, obstructing or impeding the administration of justice, or with the intent of influencing any judge, juror, witness, or court officer in the discharge of his duty, pickets or parades in or near a building, house, housing a court of the United States, or in a uh, or near a building or residence occupied or used by such judge, juror, witness, or court officer, or with such intent, uses with any sound truck or similar devices, or resorts to any other demonstration in or near any such building of residence, shall be fined under this title or imprisoned, not more than one year or both. But yet, has anybody been arrested? Why is it? Why is that? I'm going to give you some fast facts about abortion because the media will tell you that you're a minority, that what we believe as Christians is we're just the off scouring of the earth and nobody else really believes what we believe. But is that truth? I think in our hearts we know that that is nonsense because that is not the truth. What what does it tell us? It says, and this is true, you can actually go to this website, and in fact, I'd encourage you to visit heritageaction.com. They're a great website and they will give you facts and figures, and they'll give you names of representatives that you can call them, you can email them. They make it really easy. Sometimes they give you the form, and you can just fill out the form and add your name to it, and they'll send it for you. I mean, they make it as easy as possible, and everything is there on their website. And so I got these slides from there. But look at this. They've been telling us, I just heard it from uh, uh, Warren, uh, Elizabeth Warren's mouth the other day. She said 69% of America wants this. But there's a big problem because that's not true. Seventy-three percent of Americans believe an unborn baby, number one, is a human being. Seventy-one percent of Americans oppose abortion after 12 weeks. Seventy-five percent of nations do not permit elective abortion after 12 weeks. But babies are people. They are, aren't they? At six weeks, they have a heartbeat. At 12 weeks, they wiggle their toes. These things have been witnessed under ultrasound. 15 weeks, they can feel pain. 21 weeks, they, their wiggling toes become kicks and the mother starts seeing it happening and they feel it against their kidneys. 24 weeks, they're viable outside the womb. And around 7 million people, around 7 million Americans have been adopted. And nearly 100 million Americans have adopted in their immediate family. And over one million couples are waiting to adopt. So what is my point? There's other things that a person, a woman, might do. Abstinence probably won't be the one that they choose, but they can also choose to adopt. And I gave you figures. The vast majority of them, it's not something that's life or death. And I can understand if it's between the life, your life, and you're literally going to die if you, unless you have a, that. That's between her and the, the, the doctors. But do you understand that uh, I actually looked at some figures on that too, and the statistics on that are so small and insignificant; they don't even mean anything. Yep. That's the truth. That's the truth. So there's no reason they can have an adopt. They can put their child up for adoption. They can have a family member help. Is it a trial? Is it a a, a wonderful thing? Yes, it is. But is it stressful? Yes, it is. It is stressful, it's hard, on, especially on a mother. I watched my wife go through the first three years of my daughter's life, especially, because she depended 100% on her. I'll never forget that as long as I live. Never forget it. And my hat's off to you. But there are positive alternatives, Right? there's pregnancy resource centers no not planned parenthood no not planned parenthood but there are other pregnancy resource centers caring choices the one that we're doing the baby bottle fund drive compass care there are uh, others that are out there that are that are fighting for these women and encouraging them to continue to have their babies right And notice this, of only five countries allow elective late-term abortions, notice who they are, China, North Korea, Canada, the United States, and Vietnam. Why are we in this picture at all? Why are we who tout tout liberty and justice and the rule of law? Why are we in this picture? Some of you may not like this, but the Democrats' extreme agenda provides for late-term abortions in the third trimester, trimester, tax-funded abortions, abortions to select for sex of the baby. If they don't like the sex of the baby, they can just abort the child. One thing they don't do is do medicare, medical care for babies who are when the abortion is botched. They just let the baby die. That, that's that's their intention. That's that's who they are. That may not be who you signed up for, but I'm telling you that the Washington Democrats, this is what they are doing. And maybe you don't agree with it. And I hope you don't. I hope you don't. You shouldn't. And is it just because of my own opinion? No, it's not. It has everything to do with what I just read to you in the Word of God. So this is not my opinion. I'm telling you what God says about it. Right? Right? So I would encourage you to tell Congress, you know, to protect babies from gruesome late-term abortions, to protect babies once they are capable of feeling pain, to protect babies once they are viable outside the womb, to protect babies from being targeted and killed based on their race, gender, or genetics. Go to heritageaction.com and check it out. And, here's, and we'll end here. Like I said, I, we're only going to get through one verse of this here. Why Why am I talking about this? To recap, we're talking about the birth of Jesus. We're talking about extenuating circumstances that Mary and Joseph were. Did you know that they were very poor? Yes. They were very poor. Many women who are having abortions today, they, they're very poor too. They don't have. And one of the, one of the reasons for having abortions, I, I'm not ready financially to do this. But, but listen, you don't have to... You, you, you've got people around you. You've got family members who should be willing to help. Certainly the local church should help. You know, and that's why we help if we can. You know, we want to help. And, we you know, the church, we ought to be prepared... If they overturn Roe v. Wade uh, federally, all that means is that now the decision goes back to the individual states to decide what they're going to do concerning this. Many of the Republican states are certainly going to say we're going to ban it or we're going to ban it for a certain number of weeks. And praise the Lord that 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 could possibly even happen. And it looks like it may. But that's not going to be the end of abortion. It's not going to end it. Our state is going to be completely saturated with this. It's going to continue, business as usual, they're going to continue to get even more ungodly. That's the truth. Unless there is a new governor or whoever. Right? So why do I, why do I bring this up? Is it, is it necessary? Is it worth it? You know what? Listen, folks. I know that we're going to heaven if we're Christians. But should the Lord tarry for another 20 years, and I hope he doesn't, we've got kids in this church, we've got grandkids that are going to grow up in this stuff. Is that what you want? Is that what God wants? That's the better question. So do we just lay down and, and play dead and act like it's not going to happen or, that, or just pretend that it's not ever going to happen And do nothing? No, we better be praying. And that's why I encourage you, pray, pray, pray. And then use your voice, because we live in a country where we can use our voice. Many countries don't have that voice. They don't have a voice, but you and I have a voice. It's given to us as a right in our Constitution. That's what we hold to. Many countries don't have that freedom that you and I have. We better use it. Because the time is coming, we're not going to be able to use it. And they're closing in. It's closing in. And folks, church, we better start praying. And we better start sounding off. And now, I'm not talking about gathering guns and doing crazy. No, I'm not. But we do need to pray. We do need to be active. We do need to be saying things, showing up at those meetings when possible, when, when possible. We cannot let this continue because God is going to hold our country. He is. He is. I believe the judgment is upon this country because this country has been allowing abortion under the dubious. If you look into the Roe v. Wade, you look at how dubious and crazy that whole thing was. It's really not a good thing anyway. I mean, just look at it. it you Look into it. It needs to end, and because God is not a respecter of persons, he judged the Canaanites, he judged his own people, and let me tell you, he's going to judge America, and I believe he's already doing it, but that doesn't mean that we roll over and die. No, I think God has kept us here for this purpose. Who knows, for such a time as this, right? Who knows, for such a time as this, that God has called us, and we better wake up. We better answer the call. I'm going to end on three things here. Thank you for your patience. Three verses. To leave you on an encouraging note. I know this is hard. I know it is. It's, it's something that I, 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 it's the elephant in the room that I, I could not avoid today. I'm sorry that it's Mother's Day. I would have liked to have been next week, but I'm not control, I'm not in control of human events. And what has happened last Monday was a serious deal. And especially if it does come to pass, we better be ready. We better be prayerful. Let me read to you, Second Chronicles. This is an exhortation for us, and it's gonna sting a little bit. The Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place, Second Chronicles seven, verse twelve through fourteen. And I've chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Not of children, but of lambs and rams for our sin that we deserve. That blood was in our place. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face... And turn from their wicked ways, then notice the conditional. It's conditional, isn't it? If they do this, then I will do this. Now, you and I may not be guilty of any of this stuff, but you know what? Our silence And again, there's many things that we have been silent about over the years, and I don't know what to say about that. I, I wish it wasn't true, but you know, as we find out about these things, we, we need to be vocal. If they turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. He wants to do that. He wants to heal our land. I believe he does. We live in the greatest nation in all of the earth. We have been given so much. I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on you. Am I trying to encourage you to be prayerful and and to really seek the Lord in your own heart for your own issues in your own life. But then to be active as the Lord leads you. Okay, Not everybody's called and I'm not, you know, I'm not a, a protester and a picketer. I, don't, I haven't done any of that stuff. But one thing I will do is I will pray and I will be vocal about these things. I will encourage others to consider what you have just heard today. Psalm 33, this is a really great one, I love this. Blessed is the nation whose God is Jehovah. Not Allah, not Buddha, not anyone else. Blessed is the nation whose God is Jehovah God. God the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The people he has chosen as his own inheritance. Psalm 144, and we'll finish here. Happy are the people who are of such a state. Happy are the people whose God is Jehovah. I don't know about you, but I'm happy that God is Jehovah over my life. It may not be over the state of New York, but you know what? I love my country. I love this state. I love to stay here. I don't want to move. And I want to see God do great things. Don't you? I want to see him do great things in my heart. He's doing these things, but he wants to do even more. Will you answer that call? And I'm not, you just pray, pray. And do what we can to make a change. We have that freedom that given to us by God and through the founders of our Constitution. That's what our country stands for, and now it's being taken away from us. We mustn't let our country go to hell in a handbasket because it is and we need to be honest about it and it's going to hurt some feelings but you know what the truth is the truth and may we speak the truth in love amen let's stand Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. Thank you for the the great freedom we have in this country, Lord. I pray that, um, Lord, you would awaken the church in this country, awaken our fellowship, awaken me, God, and help us. Lord, we need your help. We need to have right hearts. We need to have a heart that, Lord, really loves people and loves these innocents. And Lord, I'm thankful, and I believe this with all my heart, Lord, that every one of these millions and millions of babies that have been aborted and that our states have allowed, and even organizations that have been aiding and abetting this for so many years, I believe those children are in glory with you. And to me, that's the only upswing. I believe that. But Lord, it should never have been. And you hold us accountable. You've held us accountable the Canaanites accountable, you held the Jews accountable, and you will hold the United States accountable for these sins of ours. Lord, I pray you'd forgive us, and I pray that you'd cleanse us and heal us and help us in the church, Lord, to be vocal, to be loving, to be loving, to be filled with your spirit. And Lord, as a postscript, I would just ask that you'd bless every woman here, Father, and especially the moms, Lord, would you just overshadow their hearts today and remove any heaviness, even from the heaviness of the truth that I shared today, Lord. Remove any heaviness and give them, as blood-bought Christians, give them a sweet release from anything from their past, anything in their current. And, Lord, would you shine your light, especially upon the moms today. Would you bless them, God, in abundance for the great things that they have done, the great sacrifices that they have done in their lives to see their children grow up in a healthy, healthy and a happy home? Even if it's not a wealthy environment, Lord, it doesn't matter. Love and a bowl of cereal goes a long way. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.